Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Complimentary Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Langerman, joined as always by Anthony Hobday. Anthony, how's it going this week? It's going well. I'm just reacting to that number 14. That's, uh, <laughs> I think you get into it and you don't realize how many episodes you've made until you stop and look back, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I had to do to find what number we were on. Yeah, 14. That's, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like that. I feel it's flown past. Yes. Yeah, but I'm yeah I'm doing well. Uh, I suppose that's not really design related. Design related, I'm also doing well. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, how um, are you doing? I'm good as well. Non-design related. Um, I don't know if you are part of the emo music generation of young people in your youth. Screamo. Screamo. Okay. Yeah, my tastes were a bit heavier. Oh, okay. Did, did you listen to Yellow Card at all? Or is that was that part of your youth? Do you when, know what Yellow, Yellow Card, Card is? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if any of these references will work. But when Yellow Card came on uh, Kerrang, which is the sort of heavier music channel we had growing up, okay, um, I would usually switch over to MTV2 or something because they weren't really my taste. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Well, but you? I I got to see them this week. Because they are on their like twenty year anniversary of Ocean Avenue mm. tour, and it was very fun. And they said this was their largest show ever in San Diego. I'm guessing because it was at Petco Park, which is like a baseball stadium. So it was not in the baseball stadium, but like next to it. So it was outdoor, and there was like five thousand people or something like that. But um, or maybe they just say that at every show to make you feel special. Like, this is the best show we've ever done to the largest audience, but I felt special. And it was it very fun and nostalgic. It did work, and it makes me want to support them. Was Ocean Avenue the name of their album? Yes, but then there, there's also a song that probably have, everybody knows. Have they just made the one album and they've just been touring that for 20 years? No. <laughs> it's, no. Well, they did break up at one point, so this is kind of their, like, comeback. I think they're actually working on a new album so i'm just they're... confused about why they would name their show after their first album or their most popular album when i'm assuming they've celebrate. got more well since then. that was probably the biggest one like it was mm. insanely successful for the time but that was like not a lot blew up as much as that album i think because most people only know of like a few i, I actually only knew of a few songs <laughs> at the show but um it was fun to be around a bunch of 30 to 40-year-old people very excited about this band that people younger than me do not know who it is, which I learned the hard way. I feel mm. kind of old now. I My favorite band when I was younger was a band called Midtown. They were pop punk. And I love pop punk, but I haven't heard yeah. of this. Yeah, so Midtown, I just discovered them randomly on an internet radio station one day, uh, which I'm, I'm glad for Yahoo Radio, whatever it was. <laughs> but... Uh, they became my favorite band and then they broke up before I could see them. And then he started a new band and the new band was aimed squarely at, um, I think they were called tweens. Hmm. Uh, but basically they were like neon colored teenagers. And, <laughs> but that time in my life was when I was in university. So I had finally had a chance to see the lead singer of Midtown in his hmm. new band. And I went and saw them and I was surrounded by people with neon colored hair and I felt a bit out of place and a bit too old. <laughs> Uh, but I was wearing my Midtown t-shirt and he, he was by his, you know, merch desk or whatever. And he saw my Midtown t-shirt. He signed my little book, <gasps> oh. little signature. Yeah, we had, a, we had, we hugged it out. That was a, What's a special was memory. Like, hey, listen, I remember when you were better. <laughs> the OG you. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, um, also, I want to point out that I'm wearing my Kern t-shirt today specifically mm. for this episode which just feels extremely on point because we're going to talk about typography so for people who cannot see you because it's impossible uh can you describe what the current t-shirt shows yes this is from simple bits i think that's what his i think that they might have gone through a little bit of a rebrand but dan cedarholm from dribble has a really cool brand of typefaces i'm going to use that word um mm. and this shirt says Kern, but the N is kerned quite a bit off from the K E R, just to aggravate you and make you yeah, think about it. Looks like kerning. Ker N. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I love. I always shirt. wondered because uh, you've got a, a framed typographic sample. Let's call it that says Easy yeah. Coast behind you. That's from I always the same wondered guy. if that was yeah, Simple Bits. Yep. Because I, I bought his book and uh, one of his books, and um, I've always been interested in his style. He's got a great his personal website, for example, a great down to earth, earthy yes. as well. Yeah. Uh, sort of style, quite chunky almost. Yeah. Uh, as well as his typefaces, you know, he's got a very great style. So um, I've always liked his stuff. Yes. So I saw that behind you and I thought, oh, wait, maybe that's Dan Cedarholm. I like it because it says Easy Coast, which is, I think, supposed to be kind of referencing East Coast since he's from mm. like the Boston area and I am too. But I'm now on the West Coast, but like I can represent <laughs> the East mm. Coast, even though I think the west coast is the easy coast but that's fine that's just my opinion but i i like to represent that piece behind me but yeah he used to have a podcast or he still probably does but just doesn't make episodes frequently but it has such a chill vibe it very much represents like his design aesthetic like the music mm. which i you know that's where, why music is important sometimes and just like the topics and the the way that he talks is very he feels kind of west coast to me it's almost like southern california kind of vibe but mixed with yeah. east coast which is i'm just saying a bunch of american things right now but um you get it you know what that means yeah <laughs> i don't know where all of our listeners are but hopefully they get it as well lots of them are in the uk surprisingly not mm. or not surprising uh, <laughs> I, I find easy coast an interesting um it's sort of uh, meta humor as well because if you it's got a, a double meaning, obviously, but if you treat it as a typo, that's also a typographic joke. Yeah. Because Y is next to T, right? So it's an easy, haha. <laughs> it's an East typo to make. <laughs> I never saw it that way, but I really like that angle on it. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, well, I suspect that typographers uh, would rather die before they use typos mm -hmm. uh, intentionally because that, that feels so such an unintentional mistake, you know, and so to use it intentionally feels like it goes against the entire point of typography, which is extremely intentional. Right. Yeah. So. Segway. A, a segue. A few episodes ago, what was it called? Uh, let me scroll back up. The, we talked about the three pillars of visual design, hmm. which were scrolling, typography, layout, and color. <laughs> and so we thought we should expand upon those in separate episodes. Um, so we'll be talking about color and layout in the future, which will be exciting. But today's topic is around typography. And I don't think I told you this, but I kind of selfishly picked this one because I knew I'd be working on a bunch of typography stuff this week for my job job. <laughs> so it's like very top of mind for me. Um, but also I did kind of reach back into my graphic design roots a little bit and just like brush up on some things that I felt like I kind of like already knew common knowledge type things, um, but wanted to yeah. reference some of the older books that I had and see how it compares to the web, which is very different. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's different enough that there are books about web typography. Because mm -hmm. um, I've read a couple of typography books that are not web specific, and I've read a couple of typography books that are. And uh you know, you can really skip over some sections in a, let's say, a traditional typography book because it's so focused on print stuff. Yeah, points and pikas. Yeah, like when I was learning about those things, I was thinking these words are weird. First of all, and second <laughs> of all, I'm I'm never going to have to put in a pika or pika anywhere. Yeah. Oh, is it? A, so is it pika? I don't even I don't know, know how to I say think it now. Is it Italian or uh, Latin? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure where it comes from or One how to pronounce those. it. I'm, we don't really have to know, right? But it is interesting. Yeah. There's such a rich history to typography that it is interesting. If you want to dive into that, you can do. Yeah. Uh, there are books that explain that. But yeah, one of my favorites is um, Jason Santamaria's On Web Typography, I think it's called, which is from uh, the uh, the short design book company. Uh, I forgot what they're called now. A Book Apart. Oh, uh, okay. The A Book Apart company, yeah. Yeah. Has one by Jason Santamaria called On Web Typography. And I found that that covered most of what I learned from for example, I think it's Bringhurst's um, Elements of Typographic something or other. It's like the typography Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, elements of Typographic Style, I think it's called. I, I found that most of the important or practical stuff in there was covered in on-web typography. 
And so it's really a yeah. case where you can specialize a bit more and probably need to if you're going to be writing your own code, as I assume you do. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the older like graphic design books, it it kind of it was fun to like reflect back on those courses because some of them go into great detail about typefaces themselves and like letters, like just the whole like extremely detailed about how typefaces work. And I remember in those classes, there were some people who were very interested in that and ended up wanting to kind of dive deeper into like, how do you even make your own typeface? Like what are letter forms mm. and like much more detailed. And then others that were more focused on like layout, laying out text and creating designs that way. And we sort of, I think I fell into more of the camp of, I just want to learn how to use these things. I never was interested in learning how to create them myself which yeah. is like a whole thing that it, it's very, I would think it's very difficult, but also kind of cool to dive into. Yeah, I usually say that it's a career in itself Yeah. to describe how much you can specialize. I don't actually know in 2023, not that I want to date this episode, but I don't actually know in 2023 how much of a career typography can be uh, because I assume like a lot of Like a creating type? Or... Well, I mean, I, I suspect that's still going to be, uh, you know, a valid career for a long time because we need infinite typefaces at right. all times <laughs> but um setting out type you know that used to be a career and i assume it still is in some places but i don't know how popular it is because almost every designer needs to learn how to set out type yeah well enough to get by and is that enough for most people and therefore do you not need professional typographers you know dedicated mm. typographers i haven't actually looked into this i don't know how i would even find out you know, whether yeah. it's still a valid career. I guess you do a job search for a typographer. And if you get no results, then you know it's <laughs> probably a dying, dying breed. I bet it is. Even just like with software now, doing a lot of that kind of work, there's less mm. manual work potentially. But I will say yeah. about typography, uh, I thought this before I joined the call, that typography has, out of the three pillars, typography has the best name because it sounds quite scientific. It's got the ography mm. on the end. <laughs> And so it sounds sort of fancy, you know, technical, whereas layout and color are such simple concepts. I suppose layout is more of a portmanteau, is that what they're called, where you combine the two words into one. So that feels slightly more technical, but it's still quite a simple concept and a simple word. And color is, you know, everyone knows color from when they're you know, three years old or whatever. Right. So typography is the one that sounds the most impressive. I think you're right. <laughs> it does sound impressive. Yeah, it communicates its own depth well. Whereas yeah. layout and color have a lot of depth, but they do not communicate how much depth they have. Mm -hmm. Where should we, like, how should we jump into this topic? Should we talk, what What do you want to talk about first? Because I have a lot of, like, recommendations, I suppose, but also some kind of open questions to me that I came across, mostly from a systems perspective. Yeah, some of the things that come to mind for me are rant-based. Um, <laughs> so to give you a taste of that, because this this... I was just thinking this a minute ago when I was saying designers have to know enough. It feels like you can get by if you learn enough to be able to change the defaults in your design software. Hmm. So if you put some type in Figma or something, you'll get these default settings that are almost always wrong. You should know enough to be able to change each of those numbers to something that's better. I know that you've written down some of those numbers in your notes, so we can go over yeah. them. But um, I find that an interesting concept because I've, I've talked before about how uh, if they just change the defaults in our design software so that they were better defaults, then everyone would become better designers overnight because, you know, if they set the right line height, for example, I don't mean to jump ahead, but if they set the right line height, for example, in Figma, not, I shouldn't say the right line height, I mean a better default line height than whatever it auto. What is it? Okay. Is, well, what does auto yeah. mean anyways? Well, no one knows and that's the problem. If you care about type, which hopefully everyone who uses Figma cares about type, they, they shouldn't leave it set to auto. And so even if it's a more opinionated choice than auto, like they should be more explicit about what it's being set to and they should maybe explain with a tooltip or something why it's being set to that. But basically, they could set some of those defaults to be more sensible defaults. And uh -huh. um, I think people would have to learn less about typography, you know, overnight to extend that thought a bit further. So they wouldn't necessarily need to re read the books. They could just use Figma's defaults because they know that they're relatively safe defaults. Because yep. that's one of the great things about typography is that there are relatively safe defaults. Yes, but it sort of depends on the typeface that you're using, right? Like everything is dependent upon the decisions that were made for that typeface. Yeah. What is the default I, I typeface if, in Figma? Oh, I don't know. 
I think it <laughs> set it leaves it at whatever you set it to because if I just open a new well, maybe it's set per file. Mm. Basically, whenever I'm not working on stuff for work, it's just set to inter, and I think that's because I, think... I set it to inter. No, I think point. it is inter. That was going to be my guess. So maybe that oh. is the default. I don't well, know. That's a pretty good default. They've, yeah. they've made a sensible choice there. Yes. I think it's it's partly that designers are allergic to the idea of sensible defaults. They they want to believe that they're full control, crafting magic from scratch every time, uh, when actually they're just remembering all the sensible defaults and plugging <laughs> them in instead. You know, it's, it's not as if they don't start with 1.5, uh, 150% line height or something. Uh huh. That sounds like a lot of work. I assume most of us are yeah. using design systems that have all of this stuff set up in the in the files, mm. anyways, to start. Yeah, only one person in the company needs to know sensible defaults. Basically. And just propagate them. <laughs> they can hit publish system. Yeah. So, yeah, we could talk through the, the specifics, actually. That might... Um, okay. for I think yeah. when we get to line height, that's the one that I have a lot of thoughts and questions about. But let's start with font size because I also have... Maybe this will turn into a rant for this, but... Um, for me, my general recommendation is to use 16 pixels or one rem for your body copy, like as a base or not necessarily for your body copy, but as like the smallest font that the smallest size that you will use in your designs, if possible. I guess if you have to go down to 14 for like a label or some kind of like caption type text, mm. it's acceptable, but it's pretty small and hard to read. And 16 is like what the browser default is typically and when we're talking in pixels well when i'm talking in pixels i'm talking like the pixel equivalent of a relative unit so you should be using rems which is more of a technical term i guess wouldn't it be cool if figma like helped us understand relative units yeah i mean in html you can set or in css rather you can set the i, I know i'm preaching to the choir here but for our listeners uh, I, I know from personal experience, because I like to use relative units, that I can set the the base size for HTML text at 16 pixels and then just start using relative units. And so I think it makes sense for designers to be introduced to that in Figma if they're going to be handing it off to people who are designing in that sort of way. Because uh, it's so much easier once you can start talking in relative units. Yeah. Uh, this spacing should be 0.5, you know, M's or REMs or whatever it is, uh, rather than having to talk in pixels where... You know, you're never sure if you talk in pixels whether the developer is translating that into relative units in their head and everything's fine, or if they're just typing a pixel amount in when they shouldn't be. So that's always hmm. sort of I, I'm always wary of saying things in pixels. But yeah, sometimes it's necessary. I don't think in rems though. I can think in I can, I know what one rem is and what half a rem is, but like everything else is too much work for me. So we just set CSS variables to use rem units but then they reference a pixel so like mm. base size eight is half a rem so then you can still talk in pixels but know that you're not actually using pixels ever but so your variable names reference the pixel size yes and that's a whole topic <laughs> that's like a whole opinion some people don't believe in that for a scale to be using to reference the actual value like that but to me, it makes perfect sense because if you ever want to add any new values, you have reserved that space to do that because it's just an ordinal. So if you, for some mm. reason you want 18 pixels, then you can just add base size 18 and it fits in your scale perfectly. And I think designers think in pixel units, at least I do. And so it's just easier to, I think it's easier to talk about pixels than rem units. But yeah, I, I, I suppose the argument against it is that. What if you need to change the base size? But um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a designer. I, I've heard legends about designers who legends. don't use yeah uh, base two, not base two. I've heard legends about designers who don't use uh, multiples of two for their um, sizing, but I, I don't know if they uh -huh. really exist. Like yeah, ten. I mean, old old Bootstrap used to use like ten pixel, like kind of odd numbers. I think. Um, if I'm designing something just for myself, like if I'm putting a little image on, on Twitter or something or designing something to try it out, I always use multiples of five because it's just easier for me to think about those. I'm shocked. 
So I set my <laughs> typeface to 20 pixels and then I set my, you know, space or my line height to 30 pixels or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like just because the, the maths, if you're doing something quickly, the maths is easier than doing it in uh, multiples yeah. of four or eight. Yeah. But I should, I should clarify. So like if you're using relative units, <clears throat> you're not necessarily setting the base font size in your application and explicitly forcing it to be 16 because you want the user to be able to change that. But you're you're assuming it's 16 and then allowing things to scale up and down if they were to change mm. their browser setting, like not not zooming in and out, but actually the browser setting. And so if they were to change it to something larger than 16, then those numbers are no longer relevant by having like base size 8, base size 16, because they would be scaled up. But that's like you just can't care about that. You have to just assume that you should design in a way that lets it scale up and down. So yeah. it's just like, I guess, a communication tool to talk in like the most generic baseline terms. Mm. It makes sense. I am um, on the topic of 16 pixels. At the last company I worked for, we redesigned the entire, it wasn't a major redesign, but we redesigned the entire app and we went to 16 pixels base text size. And there were some complaints from some developers in the company, but basically we, we made the transition quite well. Uh, the company I currently work for, I think everything is at 14 pixels. Mm. So our standard size is like the small text size in our design system. And um, I, I think it's because it's such a visually dense interface, yeah. especially on a laptop screen. If you're using larger text, you lose out on so much potential space for such a dense interface. And um, the layout is either cramped, feels too cramped when you're getting all that information in at 16 pixels for a text, or it feels too roomy like you're you're not actually getting enough on the screen because you're using too much space as it were mm -hmm. so um i can really see the practical benefits of smaller text like it's hard to actually move away from that even though it's easier to read at larger sizes yeah so it's kind of application specific like for more dense yeah. interfaces going down to 14 can make sense but i tend to like larger types for blogs or something that's like really simple like single column layout mm. text sometimes i like when it's a little chunkier because it's easier to read yeah I, one of my favorite articles is written by uh jeffrey zelbin i think i'm remembering that correctly uh but he wrote a, an article that i saved years ago i think it was called web design manifesto or something along those lines and he was basically ranting about the idea of he had changed his web design, his blog design, so that it had much larger text. I think it was like 20 pixels. It wasn't mm -hmm. huge by today's standards, but it was huge by the standards of 10, 15 years ago. And so he did that, and he was writing this post in response to someone emailing him to say, are you aware that the text on your website is so big? And they'd sent a screenshot of his website to him. It's like, this text is massive. It must be a mistake. And he was basically ranting at them like, yes, I'm aware. I did that on purpose. <laughs> and he was making the case for large text. Uh-huh. Uh, sort of quite simple, centered in the screen. And whenever I, as soon as I saw that, I uh, really admired it and I liked it. I've been using large text whenever I can ever since. And so the zeitgeist has sort of caught up now that the way that designers decide to set text. But, um, he was a real pioneer in terms of, hey, why don't we make this readable? And he was yeah. making great points about things like if you're setting your text much larger, then your typefaces have a much better opportunity to sort of express themselves. And he made the point, because this was back in the web standards, you know, use these six fonts and uh, typefaces and no others <clears throat> because we didn't have web uh, web fonts. He made the point that even Times New Roman at that size looks quite good. And so he was, uh, I really like that benefit of large text is that the, the text can look better in yeah. general. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You're going to spend a day picking out your display font, <laughs> make it big so you can see all the detail of it. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about, which actually feels very relevant to you because of your current website design. So the mm -hmm. design for your website right now, like you have your heading levels visible in each heading. So it'll say like H1, H2 on the page. Yeah. And um, when you look into creating a type scale, which I don't know how much detail we want to go into that exercise, but usually you create six heading levels. Um, and I've always just kind of been curious, are, is anyone really using six heading levels? It's a lot. To me, it seems excessive. And sometimes I wonder if it forces you to like 
because your natural instinct is, okay, all six of these headings should be a different size. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe if you have like four, I usually go up to H4 in different sizing. And then anything beyond that is probably more similar to like your body size, but it might have a different weight or something else to like create some contrast. But not all, like if you go look up any kind of scale calculator, that's not always how it works. I think it'll probably give you six different sizes. So I'm just curious what your take is on this. Yeah, I find the six heading levels a bit strange. Maybe because I work on, when I'm doing it myself, you know, just designing my own type scale, I'm working on simpler stuff like my website. And so six seems like overkill to me because I found that if you set your body text and then you set, let's call it a conservative heading one size, because you don't want your heading one, your main title to be absolutely massive compared to your body text, especially for a blog or something, you don't want it to dominate the entire page because, you know, your heading one's going to be on every page, I assume. Um, so if you set your body text and you set your heading one to both reasonable sizes, I don't think there's room for five other sizes between that where you can have noticeably different heading sizes. And I know that some maybe more old school typographers suggest varying more than the size, the mm-hmm like you said, the weight or maybe italics or maybe, you know, um, all caps or something, you know, small caps. Uh, That seems a bit overkill for the modern web to me uh, for most uses. And so, yeah, six levels. I don't even understand why HTML supports it. I think I usually go down to three levels personally. I have uh, heading one, heading two, and then usually heading three is actually the same size as the body text. But uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I do like to keep it as simple as possible. Mm. I mean, semantics-wise, you might need a heading six at some point, I guess. I don't know that I've ever run into that, but it doesn't necessarily need to. Like, sometimes we get hung up on the visual design of a heading compared to the semantics of it, and they don't need to Mm. correlate necessarily. So if you have something that semantically needs to be an H3, but you don't want it to look larger than your body text, like it doesn't have to, you can still use the semantic heading for it. Um, So I think people, I'm assuming like creating six heading levels in a scale just comes from the HTML heading tags. And so you arbitrarily sit there and create all six levels. And I think it's a little bit short-sighted, similar with like pretty much anything else (laughs) in design. If you're just creating something for the sake of checking off a box or like well, there's six headings, so I must need to have six different design styles Mm. for it. Like think about the actual application of how these are going to be used and then build your scale based off of that. So that's the problem I have with like scale generators. I think it sort of pulls you out of your own design and like spits out something that may or may not work for your use case. And it's better to kind Mm. of think about, I guess, like the markup or the anatomy of the kind of design you have, and then make your type fit in with that a little bit better. Yeah. First of all, I've never seen you this angry. <laughs> well, this is today is Friday, and I've been staring at typography all week, as I said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second of all, I'm actually curious now that we've talked about this, because I never thought about it before, um, when the HTML standards body put together the six heading levels, why they chose six. I'm wondering if there's a typographic reason or if they just landed on six as a sort of a, an even we have to look that up. round number. So um, maybe there's a good reason for it. Maybe six headings was at the time like the right number for any given piece of text. But uh, I think what we're saying is that in most cases, six is unnecessary. Yeah, especially for the kind of products that you and I both work on, I, I suppose. Like we're not working on a blog post design every day. Applications... Hmm have less I mean maybe they should have more headings but it's such a like a dense application is much more about the content and it's not always like sectioned off into something that would fit within a specific heading it's very difficult to kind of figure out what heading levels you should have in a dense application but if you have less options should be easier (laughs) to figure out yeah Simplest generally better. We uh, we both work on applications that allow people to write documents. Yes. Uh, and suddenly that brings, you know, this conversation back in or back towards relevance because, you know, maybe the people who are writing those documents want six heading levels. But it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about yeah. like Markdown. 
in Markdown, obviously we support Markdown and GitHub. You definitely want to use headings in your Markdown, even if it's like in a pull request or like a, um, a PR description or an issue. But again, six, I just can't see it. I see three or four potentially. Yeah, you, you mentioned someone designing a blog post. To, if someone's writing blog posts and they're using six headings, then they are really into writing in my view. <laughs> They're writing something technical. Yeah, I'm. I really want to look this up and see where it comes from. Now I'm wondering, like, does it come from print or like books? But even then, like, books have a title, like a chapter title, <laughs> and then mm. rarely anything more than that. But we'll have to. That's actually uh, it's an interesting concept for like a, a mini site, like a catalog. If people wanted to gather up examples from history. Or from like real applications where six heading levels are used, you could dive into like here. Here's a doc. Here's like five documents that use six heading levels. Here's how they each approach those six. Like here's the design. Yeah. Here's the structure they've approached it with. And so, if you could find examples where it's actually been required and not just forced, you know, just for the sake of it, that would be an interesting little study because I think a lot of people would maybe understand the reason for six heading levels better if those examples even exist. Yeah. Maybe no one in history has ever used H6. <laughs> but then if they exist, then it, it gives you that other angle of like, this is where you would need it. And so it helps validate that you probably don't need it for yeah. most things. Um, so that's my rant on heading levels. It's something you see all the time in design systems where you just like, oh, we need a, we need a type scale. Here's one. And you use whatever formula. There's like many that you can use. And then you go to use it in your application and you're like, I'm sorry, how do I use this? I don't see where this fits in and it's just a little bit backwards. So I don't know, build up from what your body type is and like actual use yeah. cases. There are definitely more practical ways to approach it, simpler ways. And um, I generally find that if I try to use a type scale generating tool, it feels really cool when I'm doing it because I think, oh, it's generated here right for me. It's all you know, nice and neat. Golden ratio. And then I actually, I, yeah, and then I try to use it and I realize, oh, this isn't quite right. I need to tweak it. And so you end up abandoning this beautiful scale you've created that's based on, you know, musical harmony. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, you Major probably would have been better just starting with your, <laughs> yeah, just starting with your body text and then doubling it for the next, or one and a halving it. Yeah. It's what I usually do for the, the next type size up, whatever that happens to be. Yep. Okay. This kind this of. Is, this is real, yeah, back and forth tweaking, you know, yes. trial and error. And I think this kind of leads nicely into the topic of line height because that is another one that I suspect, like, I, I don't remember if we said this while we were recording or before we were re recording, but like these things, especially line height, depend so much on the actual typeface being used and what was like coded into that specific mm. typeface. And so I feel like it really almost always needs optical alignment and visual fine tuning. Like I think you can have some general rules to as to start with as a baseline, but then you're probably going to have to do some tweaking to make it look better, which is not like super quantifiable, but No. This is um on the IA writer blog. So they make IA make a, a tool where you can write distraction free. Um and they have a blog where sometimes they post interesting articles about design and i think it's the co-founder of the company or the founder of the company has written these long articles in the past and one of them is about taste and um, there's this great point in there he makes where he says that 150 percent line height is objectively better than 170 percent line height at a certain type size but the difference between 145 percent line height and 150 percent line height is a matter of and he uses the long german word that means fingertip feel uh, but he's discussing this idea that you, you need to be able to learn these things and build that taste so that you can make those like little tweaks between your default, which might be 150% line height, and what you eventually land on, which might be, you know, 147 or something. Yeah. And it's just because that looks better to you, but how do you learn that it looks better? That is the question. I don't know. <laughs> By experience, yeah. I think. and mm. Exposure. Yes, exposure. That's the word. If you see it enough maybe it sort of stands out to you more. I've said this before on this podcast, but I always notice when line height looks wrong to me. And and it always feels like one of the first signs of like 
this person knows just enough about design to create this website, but not quite enough for me to be convinced that they're a designer because they're just missing mm. this one little alignment thing in it's usually line height related. Yeah, there's this amazing, um, I guess this is not particularly line height related, but before I forget it, there's this um, sort of concept I find really interesting in typography where I know a lot more about typography and can see a lot more in the de details when it comes to typography than someone, you know, a random person on the street, let's say. Let's hope they're not a typographer. Uh, a, a random person who's not a typographer on the street. So I have a much better eye for detail than they do. But I remember reading this series of blog posts about a redesign by, um, oh, what's his name? He's a guy who does really simple um, design and he's a bit of a legend, but he doesn't really post anymore. He's one of my favorite designers. <laughs> I'll make Are sure they on Twitter? I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. Uh, they don't really post anymore anything, but um, I'll remember it in a second as I start talking. But basically, he has his website and he's written this whole series of uh, posts about redesigning the website. And it's a very simple sort of, let's say, monochrome approach, mostly type. And so a lot of the redesign that he's writing about is choosing typefaces. Mm. And even though I know more about the random person on the street that, about typefaces and seeing the details, he's comparing two typefaces that to me look almost identical and he's saying things like clearly this one feels more so and so than this one and he's putting them side by side with examples where he's done little you know swatches almost of these two yeah. different typefaces and he's having to choose between these two that to me are practically identical i can see a slight difference but i can't see any difference that would actually affect whether i choose one or the other they're basically the same typeface as far as i'm concerned and uh, just seeing someone talk through it in that depth is really eye-opening because clearly there's another level beyond the one i'm at where this person can see a lot more detail and they care about it. And I don't, I, I can't, I can hardly see it. I don't care about it. I really don't want to know it. Um, but yeah, it, it's still like a, a fascinating insight into how someone else uh, approaches it. Yeah. It's, I remember now it's Frank Chimera. Okay. Frank. Uh, so Frank Chimera has a website and um, hopefully the post is still up because he's been in the habit of the past of deleting links to oh, old posts. Come on. <laughs> but yeah he talks about redesigning a website and he talks about the type selection process and he goes into a lot of detail and that's really interesting okay that sounds very fascinating i think yeah for me like i agree i don't really have the mental capacity to dive so deeply in like i was saying about old graphic design books that go into all the detail about the letter forms um not right now i'm at least not super interested in like learning all the tiny diff details and differences between fonts type typefaces whatever but they do give me like a feeling like you get a vibe and it's almost like picking out clothes like if you're shopping mm. for a typeface <laughs> for your new site like I always look for ones that feel like it represents if it's for my personal site I want it to represent me in some way and so I just pick ones that I like personally feel like I identify with which is similar yeah. to just picking out clothes or something that like you're showing something about yourself to the world. But I don't go and look so detailed like, well, I, I like this one because of this lowercase a, although that is one that I probably would say, but like not, I wouldn't know why. I wouldn't know like necessarily all the details, but. Yeah, if you want a, uh, a friendly approachable typeface, you don't want a two-story, a double-story lowercase a. Yeah. <laughs> What is that That'll called? Be a See, rookie mistake. We should know the differences between those two A <laughs> letter forms. I definitely used to know. But Well, I think the the smaller one is called a single story, but I don't know if it's two story or double story. Okay. Um, I, it's not ringing any bells for me. But also just like side note, when I was in school, we were not allowed to use the word font. It was like a sin. Like you had to use the word mm -hmm. typeface. And I that was deeply ingrained in me. And then when I graduated and entered the real world and started doing web design, I never heard anyone use the word typeface and everyone always uses font. And so I'd feel kind of weird being like, it's a typeface though. Like that's not mm -hmm. the correct word. And so now I just use them interchangeably and I feel like my professor yeah. would be just disgusted. I only use, I try to be accurate. And so I, I mostly use the word typeface. Okay. Well, we can be an uh, accurate podcast and I'll. I'll know that this is a safe mm. space to use the accurate term of typeface. Yeah. Well, I care a lot about accurate terms. So yeah, this is the right place for you to... Can you tell us those muscles. what is the difference between a typeface and a font? My understanding is that a typeface is the name of the 
um, describes the design and the the word font describes the file it is delivered in. I think that is part of the the reason that font took off as a way to describe it is because people were choosing fonts. They were choosing between files on their computer when they scrolled through the list in, you know, Microsoft Word, but they're actually choosing files that represent the typeface, which is the design. Okay. And so I think it's the same, it's the same, it's still a typeface, even if you print it out and show people, but I think it's only really a font if you're looking at a dot. Woff, woff two file yeah. is a web font these days, isn't it? Okay, that makes sense then as to why it was so much more important in graphic design world. And then coming into a web world, you don't hear that term. You don't hear that term as much. So, mm. hmm. yeah, that was how I, I was understand about to say, it. I was about to say, I don't think you could describe a, a, a case of metal letters, you know, the type they used to use for type. Uh-huh. Um, I was about to say, I don't think you could describe them as a font, but you could describe them as a typeface. But then I realized, actually, maybe the word font comes from, you know, letterpress style printing, because I don't actually know where font comes from. I assume it's not just a, a file name. I think it's... The modern era. Okay, I'm pretty sure font represents the entire group of letters that make up the typeface. Like, not just letters, but all the symbols and everything. So that kind of makes sense. Like, a file would encompass yeah. all of those things. So... <laughs> yeah i I think partly the problem with typography is that the history is too long and too rich and a lot of those historical concepts like come in and nose their way in and muddy the waters well speaking of historical concepts then should we talk about letting because i feel like it's sort Mm. of do you know things about about that and like it's kind of coming back now with the potential of a letting trim css property that would give us some more control. Yeah, I think the reason leading has um, a space in my head is because I suspect a lot of people assume it means leading or assume it's pronounced leading. And that makes perfect sense because it's like leading and trailing describe yeah. space you put before or after something. And so leading sort of fits as a word, even though it is leading. Um, Tell us why it's leading. Well, I'm sure <laughs> you know. <laughs> because of the lead used in the old, in printing type so like each mm. letter would be on a lead block right uh, i don't think it was lead well maybe it was but I, I think leading describes the strips they would put beneath the metal blocks oh. to add extra spacing okay yeah yeah i think you're right so oh, you put down the row I of failed. characters and then you'd add a leading strip yes um yeah when you wanted more line height and so that that's part of the problem is that the word leading is it's not misleading it's it's a bit unfortunate since we talk about line height so often now yeah i think line height is a better way to describe what we're actually doing technically whereas leading really describes what they were doing you know before when you couldn't change the height of the the character as it were or the the height of the bounding box of the character let's say for some reason i thought yeah i thought it was part of the bounding box i'm now a little bit confused so why is it part of web fonts web like web typefaces then because the like this is why line height I think is really confusing because even if you give something a specific line height and you're anticipating a specific amount of pixels in between the lines because of letting and the line box that contains the letters, it won't ever be the exact pixel unit that you're anticipating. And that's why it's difficult to like have accurate spacing. Yeah. I've always thought that the way that browsers render text and handle things like the baseline and the height of you know ascenders and descenders and things is too confusing and maybe it can't be any simpler but it's not clear how they handle text and so if you're in a position like us where you want to understand that to be able to think about things like spacing inside a button for example which is where leading trim comes in i assume then um i wish it were clearer how that works i think you really have to get into the technical details to understand that because it works differently from how you know the, the the metal type of days of your work or however you describe that <laughs> so I, I don't understand it i don't really want to understand it i don't think i should have to understand it i think I it agree. should be almost self-evident how text is rendered yeah you know just like how we show padding and spacing on elements in things like figma and in your web inspector mm-hmm. in the browser it's showing you how the spacing is calculated with different colors I, I wish that type had a sort of a universally agreed way of doing the same thing right like here's the bounding box that the designer designed, the typeface designer, for example. Here's the one they put together, so you can see what kind of drugs they're on when they decided <laughs> where the the baseline should be compared to this other typeface you're looking at. 
And uh, here's all the stuff we're adding on because of these properties you've set. And maybe there is a tool that does that, but I've not come across it. Right. Well, I think I agree. You shouldn't have to like do a ton of research to understand this because it's very complicated. And that's why I think for most people, the best thing you could do is just visually optically align. So that's why I say like mm. you can use 1.2 or 1.5, which to me are the ones that I'm typically using for text, but then going to have to like visually check it and make sure it's actually working and looking how you want. And it all depends on the typeface that you're using. But um, yeah, so this is line height you're talking about line height. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for the, the letting issue, there's a letting trim CSS proposal, which will basically remove the letting and give you much more control over the line height in a simpler way. So you could control the line height and I think actually anticipate what the values <laughs> would be. Um, and there mm. are like tools you can use to already do this with JavaScript. I think it's called Capsize is the JavaScript, probably React library that you can use to like simulate this, but kind of sucks to use JavaScript to do something like that when it should just be like mm. native in the browser. But it sounds like letting trim is, is kind of come at some point to CSS. So that will give us a lot more control over line height. Because hmm. they've added it to Figma, I think, letting trim. Did they? Okay, I wasn't sure if they... I couldn't remember I if I saw that. Recently. Okay. Yeah, so I haven't actually tried it because I, I don't try to mess with it. But Well, um, that's the thing. If you can do it in Figma, and like you can't do it on the web right now, so it seems really dangerous <laughs> to put that in. Anticipation. They anticipated the CSS. Release, well, maybe, maybe they should fund some of the browsers <laughs> to get that in there if they're going to be a step ahead. <laughs> but okay, so here's to me the, the golden question is that if you take two different typefaces and set them to the same size and then apply this letting trim concept, do they end up at the same pixel height as each other? Good question. Because if they don't, that feels like, I'm sure it's useful for How's other things, possible? but in terms of understanding, yeah, you think you were trimming it down just to the but no, then but the, they the have different X height. Have different height. Yeah. yeah. So, and also like, how does this, um, it, at least at GitHub, we use system fonts. So it's really hard to anticipate what the fonts are, what the typeface is going to look like in any browser. Mm. Um, and like, I think what I was reading is that typefaces have all of this data available. You can like run it through, you know, a piece of software and it will spit out all this information for you. So you could like accurately calculate things, but if you you don't anticipate like if you are using a system font you have no idea what necessarily is going to be on the other side i think a lot of people use system fonts so yeah there's only so much fine tuning i guess and you have to like pick your battles with this one yeah I, I think type designers are admirable i admire them a lot but they're also dangerous and they need to be stopped <laughs> Because they've got far too much power in terms of deciding how typefaces will be rendered. And it's fine if it's just a passion project or something, but we rely on those things and uh, we don't understand them. And I'm scared and I want to lock them all up. <laughs> uh, not literally. Yeah. No, I kind of feel that, at least on the web. I don't want this to be evidence in some kind of trial in 10 years' time. <laughs> it used to be fun, like back in graphic design land of using InDesign and like, you could do so much more stuff to the typeface, probably just breaking it completely and making it look horrible. Mm. Like the tracking and the kerning and all of this little fine-tuned detail. And I think the goal is to not have to do so much stuff on it and just it should just like work. But line height is the one that feels like it's never works how you want it to. And so there you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that most people probably won't have to worry about this. I think you probably experienced the technical side of typography and CSS more than most designers will. Because they're just using what's given uh, to them. Yeah, you just pick one of the popular typefaces, you set it to what seems like a good default based on what other people do, and yeah. um, you just leave it there, right? Because it's going to be readable. Mm -hmm. It's like a readability scale in terms of, I could make this 1%, 2% more readable, but it's already at 90%, you know. 90% of people who pick it up will be able to read it just fine. Right. So, well, that's actually a bad number, isn't it? If 10% of people can't read it, it's uh, <laughs> pretty high. <laughs> I'm using the wrong, the wrong scale there. It's 90% readable for everyone who picks it up. Yeah. And that's um, fine. And I think most people can achieve that by knowing, you know, 
six sensible default values or something mm-hmm. uh, which is what i love about typography is it's got such a high ceiling even on the technical side like you're saying yeah but it's got such a low floor right in terms of can i become a better typographer tomorrow yes you can yeah uh, tons as, of... as much as some designers won't want to admit it <laughs> tons of defaults you can use tons of design systems you can use too that will get you get you 90 mm. percent there even quicker yeah um should we talk briefly about line length yeah, this is a tricky one. Well, I think I've looked it up and I've seen every single website I read had a different value to say for their character mm. count. So there's like a range anywhere from like 40 to 60 or I think I've seen 80 characters in a single line. So there's like a very general recommendation of how long a line length should be. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can sort of settle around that midpoint yep. of the scale, the range they often give you, and uh, it's going to be a, a safe bet, even if it's not exactly right. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the interesting things about this topic in general is that if you actually want to go and find out the sort of scientific proof that that line length is best, it's quite hard to find. And so there was an article I came across recently that was quite good about um, someone basically dove into all of the recent scientific findings about line length and found that there's not really much to support the advice that a lot of typographers give Hmm. or a lot of typography posts whatever give of you know 50 to 70 or 40 to 60 whatever it is and so there's not really much sort of scientific backing for that number but i think from memory they did find that people generally see that and think that it's the most appealing because the the, the scientific studies test readability and like how easy is this to read what's your recall or whatever and actually that doesn't have much impact but um, in terms of what people like to look at, even if it doesn't affect their readability, they did find that in that range was the most sort of visually appealing. Interesting. So it's still got a benefit. Yes. But I might be butchering all of their findings. Well, if you want to put it in the show notes, if you can find it, that would be interesting to share. Yeah. Um, do you know if the text wrap balance was added to Figma in the big release a couple of months ago? Do you know what that is? Yes, I I don't know because they added like they added wrapping controls. Yes, for the first time in general, I I can't remember seeing text wrap okay. controls. I couldn't remember either, but that is another new CSS property that is supported in some browsers, I think. Um, but it's worth mm. noting because it basically allows you to have some control over like text wrapping and um dealing with orphans so like an orphan is when you have a little word dangling in a weird place um just like naturally from from line breaks or like line wrapping not a break is that a good description i don't know i well i know exactly what you mean so i'm not sure if it's i don't know if it's a good description or not (laughs) okay but yeah if if text wraps around onto more than one line and then you've got one word on its own on its own line yeah um, and so text wrap balance is a new property that basically it keeps the box size the same. So the text width is taking up the same amount of space, but it will wrap it in like a more pleasing way. It'll attempt to break the line in a way that doesn't have mm-hmm. any orphans. I haven't used it yet, um, but it seems very clever. And I don't know, I'm curious because in graphic design land, you could spend a whole day just like, staring at your ragged your ragged your rag i don't know edge and like fine-tuning exactly where you want words to be so that it looks Mm. like pleasant you can't do that on the web you shouldn't be doing that if you're trying to do that on the web because the web is fluid and things move and so i wonder if it's kind of like an interesting css property where it's saying we're going to give you like we're giving you more control over how the wrap is going to look, but we're also taking away the the control because I don't think you can be opinionated about where it's going to wrap. It's sort of like we're just doing the work no. for you, and that could be controversial for some people if they want to fine tune. But I don't think you can. No, I quite like it because it means that someone sat down and thought, let's try and systematize. Yeah. The rules of good text wrapping. Wonder and, how they did uh, that. Yeah, I'm always, well, I guess it's relatively simple Math. to say don't allow one word to be on its own. Yeah, um, but so sometimes it's less it. than, I mean, it will, but it still needs to know like where to break it <laughs> so that it's a balance yeah. of like two lines instead of 
yeah, I don't know. I'm interested in playing with it, and I wonder if Figma will bring it, but I don't know how useful it would be because in Figma, you're just working in static anyways, so you can just adjust things around, but worth noting, yeah. worth noting that. I think they put in, I, I seem to remember they put in a control where you could say, um, wrap this text onto this many lines yes. before you yeah, I just saw that one. truncate it or something. Yep. Yeah, so they definitely did put some things in. Yep. So maybe having like some control over how it's going to wrap uh, takes away some of the need to rely on like a character length. Well, you still need to know like for your entire, it's more of a, to me, it's almost like a layout problem, especially for like a single column page. If you want to impact the line length, you're really talking about layout for like where you're, how much space your text is going to be filling. Yeah. So. Yeah. Layout and uh, typography are forever intertwined. Yes. They're family. There's a lot of overlap. <laughs> yeah. Which is should avoid if you're good at layout. You shouldn't have overlap. <laughs> Overlapping text is right. not, not good. Not not a good solution. No. Um. Okay. For me, I have one more thing to talk about, which is responsive typography, which is a little bit more relevant towards the first topic of font size. Um. But yeah, it's a brave new world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's two ways to do it. I've seen two ways to do it. One. Well, maybe three. The first way is to not do it and have type sizes that just work across all devices and that you feel good about, mm. which I, I think it just depends on the application. Sometimes that can work. Sometimes it can't. Second way is to set breakpoints and determine like set at this breakpoint, I want the font size to be this. At a smaller breakpoint, it's a little bit smaller. And then you're adjusting everything, not just the size, but also the line height. Maybe even the weight depends of your mm. six scale items um and then fluid typography is where it's fluidly scaling between two values where you set a minimum and a maximum and a preferred value and you just let it do what it wants between those two values which means you're going to get very arbitrary numbers depending on how your screen width is and how it's scaling and i think mm. that that one is cool um, but I think just a lot of designers hate that because they can't anticipate what the size will be at all times. It's not as static. Yeah. It's basically magic. I don't, uh, <laughs> I think that's like one of the interesting things about the, the modern typography, let's say, versus the old typography is that it's not a fixed medium. And so yeah, you've got less control that you're saying. And I think typography has classically been about so much control and see why For people sure. would be a bit wary of losing that control. Yes. Do you have a preference to any of these options? If if I'm doing something for myself only, I keep it as simple as possible, but I do appreciate that on an iPhone screen, for example, the text should be slightly smaller mm -hmm. to fit more of it in, have a better line length. And so the way I personally do it on my website, if I'm remembering correctly, is I basically set, let's say, 18 pixel text as the default, and then I drop it down to 16 pixels um, if there's a breakpoint, you know, the media query yep. um, picks up a smaller screen size. So I just go basically between two, and I think that's enough. Hopefully it is, because that's what you're getting. <laughs> World. Yeah. I tend to think two is enough. Three is, like, quite a lot to do, like, mobile, tablet, and desktop for very tiny, detailed changes. Um, I prefer two. And I mm. think fluid typography is very fun, Um and I sometimes use it for personal projects, but it can be difficult sometimes to anticipate what is going to happen with it. So if you, it just depends on like what you're building. I think if you want a little bit more control, it's easier to just use a media query and go yeah. from there. But it's worth kind of like learning about fluid, I think. Yeah, to just be aware of it at least. But um, that's one of the reasons I try and keep it as simple as possible is that so I can use simpler approaches. Yeah. It's almost as if, if you have a more complicated project conceptually, you need a more complicated approach mm -hmm. in your visual design, for example, in your typography, especially. And so that, that seems like a, a good situation to avoid. I think a lot of designers don't even consider the fact that they can approach it like backwards and say, I'm going to keep the project simple so that the technical approach can also be simple. Right. I think one thing yeah. I'll say on fluid typography is that it is actually pretty simple. Like it's less work. It's I would, it's less CSS to write than using media queries, for sure. But Yeah, but is it more thinking that has to be done? 
It's more math. In terms of how I write this <laughs> one line. Yeah. I, I have to pass in three arguments. That's a bit much. Like I, Once you break down, too many. it's a lot. But once you break down and understand what each one does, it's not that complicated. But yeah, there's like, you know, pros and cons of each. So maybe not start. Maybe that's uh, mm. maybe it's like the the. The, 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 I don't know. Start with uh, media queries. And then if you're ready for level two, learn about fluid typography. Yeah, I'm sure the, the people coming up these days are um, native fluid typographers. <laughs> they didn't even get stuck on like previous technologies in order to be hung up on them. Uh huh. Yeah. They weren't good for them playing in InDesign in college. Anyways, yeah. okay. We covered a lot there with typography. This is a long one. This was a long one. Yeah, we went quite a bit long there, so we should probably wrap it up. Um, but I'm happy with what we covered. Hopefully it was useful to our listeners. And yeah. Yeah. If you if you at home listened to this thing all the way through, then send me the word turtlenecks on Twitter. Turtlenecks. <laughs> uh, so to prove that you listened to it all, and I will give you a compliment. Okay. And yeah, let me know how many turtlenecks you get. I'll be interested. <laughs> Don't send me a real turtleneck, by the way. Send me the word <laughs> turtlenecks as a code word, it's not an actual jumper. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.